Welcome back to the Syracuse Football Podcast. I'm Stephen Bailey, joined as always by Julian Wiggum. It is the middle of February. We are closing in on spring ball, and we have decided to clear out some time to catch up a little bit. want to use this show to talk mostly about Syracuse's defense. Tony White, first-year defensive coordinator, bringing in a 3-3-5 that he learned at San Diego State under Rocky Long. He will begin installing that this spring. No spring schedule out yet, but traditionally it should start in a couple weeks or so. Uh, and I thought there, you know, there'd be no one better than uh, than Julian to kind of speak on the defense and 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 how we kind of see it fitting with the personnel. Uh, before we dive into the show, we're also going to do some uh, Twitter questions. We got a nice handful from our regular listeners. Thanks for those. Uh, I need you guys to go subscribe to us, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever you listen to your podcasts on. Really appreciate you doing that. Leave us a nice review. And yeah, let's jump in. Uh, so I guess you know we haven't talked <laughs> in a while, Julian. A lot's happened, but I think the the defensive shift is going to be the biggest one within the team this year. What was your kind of initial reaction once Tony White was hired and, and it became clear that the three three five was coming to Syracuse? What do you think about that scheme and uh, maybe a little bit about how it might work in Syracuse? Yeah, it was pure excitement. Like, just the <laughs> first thought was, finally. <laughs> the first thought was, finally, man. Because uh, the three, like, it, it's weird, you know, in football, uh, especially in college football, uh, typically offenses and defenses are inverses of each other. So if you've got to think about Wisconsin, a, a power run team, and on the opposite side of the ball, they're this 4-3 stack, you know, really trying to stop the run. Uh, looking at maybe in Alabama, uh, really more in their history where, they're, again, uh, they were stacking up, trying to run the ball back when the Eddie Lakes and Trent Richardson's were around. And then on the defensive side of the ball, they were cover four, blitzing team, trying to stop the run. They, they were inverts of each other where if they were emphasizing one thing, they were trying to stop it on the other. So when Syracuse came in, initially with Baker's system, the spread offense, and you know, the orange new fast and everything was taking off, uh, the defensive side of the ball didn't really – to match. It was the uh, cover two, Tampa two style. Um, and if you remember that first year, 2016, um, everyone was playing back and it seemed like the coverage was too soft. Former players were uh, upset because it wasn't like Shakers where it was uh, aggressive and had some teeth to it and they had to try to revamp it, tidy things up. And it just, there was no inverse. It just seemed like one side of the ball was meant to be good. And then on defense, they just practiced you know, letting the offense do what they want to do. That's that's what it seemed like, and it, they kind of played like it, too. Uh, so now, seeing this three three five get in, uh, it, it's exciting because it, it's the perfect defense to stop what's going on in the ACC and what's really kind of happening around college football where the ball is spread around. You, you've got a, a spread defense to match and go against these spread offenses. Uh, I think that's really important for Syracuse, especially uh, personnel-wise, where uh, you have much more flexibility as, uh, as well, too. So naturally you think, oh, three through five, okay, they'll just bring in a nickel guy, right? Well, that's not always the case. When you've got a three through five, that fifth, uh, that fifth defensive back, he can be a safety, he can be a corner, he can be a linebacker, and it changes depending on what you're expecting from the offense. Say, uh, if, for example, back when you had Coach Schaefer, uh, I remember I was working in as a nipple on the 3 through 5 defense, and that was more, we want speed on the outside, and we want to show a corner, but we really want you to come in and use that C-gap or come off the edge, and we want you to flip. 
or it would be, ah, no, actually, we want to have a safety, so we're going to move the well here, so we've got some range over the top. You know, there's just so many different things that you can do. Even Dyson was working. It's just having that um, this certain skill set allow for so much more flexibility on the defensive side of the ball where now you can you can play a stack, you can rotate safeties, you can rotate corners. It's the perfect defense for uh, a modern uh, defense in, in college football because there's so many adjustments that you can make and you've got so much more speed on the field, which is necessary when you're when you're in the ACC. And for Syracuse, I think that's also important because they're not going to be able to recruit um, the big 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six year in, year out that you may see um, at bigger programs like a Clemson or uh, Florida State and Miami. They're, they're just not going to get those kind of recruits. Uh, so if you can compensate, and I think that using both scheme and allowing yourself to have speed on the outside, which is something you can always recruit, there's abundance of it on the recruiting trail. If you can emphasize some of the strengths that you can have on the defensive side of the ball, uh, I think that gives you a better chance to win games. I think it allows you to match up better. And I thought that just hearing that 3 through 5 is going to be their base defense, I'm like, yes, we're finally in something that will make Syracuse competitive on the defensive side of the ball. And I'm, I'm really hoping that this works out. I hope the learning curve isn't too steep. Yeah, I agree with you 100%, just as far as X's and O's. And, and look, Dino Babers visited San Diego State, I believe, after his second season at SU in 2017. He, he's had his eyes on this defense for a few years. You know, Zach Arnett, who chose Mississippi State over Syracuse in, in a large payday, was kind of viewed as the next guy up to run Rocky Long's system. And even after not being able to land him, Dino said, you know what, we're going to go take Tony White, who spent a couple years at New Mexico after being an assistant at San Diego State. Uh, he may not quite have the D.C. experience, and he might not quite be that guy who you see as a, a, a pure rising star, a, a future potentially a future head coach, but he's someone who really knows the system and can bring it here. To me, that showed me that Dino really values the system. Now, <laughs> looking at what Syracuse has, and, and we'll get into maybe the personnel itself in a little bit, but the timing is really interesting because Syracuse is replacing seven starters on defense, and Tony White's assistant coaches, none of those guys have coached the three-three-five before. Chip West is the only new face on that side of the ball, and he's going to be coaching cornerbacks. He's mostly brought in for his recruiting prowess uh, in the DMV area. So, you know, what do you kind of think of of that timetable-wise? I mean, we, you, you mentioned all those different things you can do in the three-three-five. Well, you can't install all of them at once, I don't think. So how do you kind of see that process playing out, and, and, and what's kind of reasonable to expect, you know, in, in year one? Yeah, so initially you're going to put in your base defense, uh, you're going to put in uh, a certain amount of coverages. And the initial key for these coaches is figuring out just the personnel grouping. Uh, where do you want to put Josh Black, Kingsley, Jonathan, and McKinley Wood? Like, where, how do you want to mix the defensive lineup? Who's going to play linebacker? Um, what five, and I think what's most important about this defense is which five defensive backs, really six guys, which six defensive backs uh, work together in certain packages and what kind of skill set do we have on the back end? Who can be that uh, fourth, fifth guy coming in off of the blitz? Uh, who's going to be that valuable linebacker that can hit a gap? Like, I, There's a lot of things here uh, for the coach to figure out in terms of personnel, uh, who fits where, and then being able to build on top of that to, to keep going back back to it. That way you kind of know what your bread and butter is. Uh, for us, 
with Coach Schaefer. Uh, big thing, and I think the most the MVP of the three through five uh, was Darrell Estridge uh, for his, his time there. And the reason was because he had a corner skill set, he had the linebacker skill set, and he also had the safety skill set, meaning he had range, he had athleticism, and he had the strength and speed to go down and then tackle. That's why he left the team in tackles uh, team like every year, uh, because he was just somebody who could play so many different spots. So if Syracuse can find guys like that, and the more that they do, the better. Uh, it, it's a matter of, okay, this is what we have now. We can keep going with this. This can, can become our bread and butter. Uh, this is the kind of defense, the style that we can play. And once you kind of know what kind of defense you are, if you're a coverage one, if you can blitz more, uh, then you can start to implement more and more plays, uh, more and more checks. And that, that learning curve can, it starts to become a little bit steeper, steeper with more that you put in. So the other part is just having smart players, you know, having guys that can figure it out. Um, you don't want too many Julian Wiggins their freshman year. <laughs> it took me uh, a, a little while to uh, figure out that three three five and where exactly I was supposed to be when coaches were uh, playing me at corner and then saying, oh, well, sometimes you're going to be bound through safety and other times you'll get the nickel. But that was, they threw a lot at me, and that, that took me a little while to figure out other from a sophomore year. Um, and some guys, it, it takes them a little while, but the faster they pick it up, uh, the better you are. And that's why I'm excited because they've got a guy named Andre Sisko, safety at All-American, who I think has a skill set that can develop into being more than just a center field guy. I think if he picks up on his tackling, and I think, I think he has the athleticism, I think if he just finds the nose for the football and wants to go after it, I think you have created a guy who can play in multiple different spots and you can move him around. And the more of those like star players that you have that can play in different positions, it just makes your defense, I'm going to keep saying the word, flexible, because it allows so much more. But it's just a matter of having smart players who can pick up the system and makes that learning curve uh, a little bit easier to digest and, and that's so in terms of expectations um, I think you'll see uh, not the full playbook, playbook those first four or five weeks but I think you'll see some base stuff and what Syracuse likes to do we'll get a good sense of what this defense is trying to be are they just trying to be confusing and then play back or are they really trying to be an aggressive defense who's bringing blitz packages from all types of different angles? And then from there, that's when it'll start to become even more creative. That's when we'll start to see a comfortable defense. But those first four weeks, I think, is going to be a lot more of their base stuff and what they feel comfortable with, what the guys they feel comfortable with. So it's going to be, I think, pretty vanilla, but it'll be who they are. And then from there, they'll try to build off of that and start to implement whatever it is that they want to add to that defense, whether it's more uh, complex coverages or more complex with schemes. For sure. That, that sounds a lot like what Tony White himself said You know, when I did my interview with him. Two things he emphasized. One, pacing of installation. And, uh, you know, you got to figure out how much to install at a time. And you got to make sure the coaches understand it and they're able to teach it. And, and then that the players understand it. So uh, I yeah, think... I would say that's probably mm-hmm. the most important part of this entire thing is... And this, this is kind of the cool part because we, we usually, as fans, the media, uh, the first the only thing we really talk about is the players and how they perform, and we really evaluate them. It's, and it's kind of difficult to evaluate how talented a coach is, especially a position coach or a coordinator, um, unless they've got these great defense churning out year after year. Uh, but this is a situation where um, you've got a group of coaches who are learning something new and 
if, if, if there's ever a technique problem, a technical problem, you know that's your coaching staff, and you, you can identify who, who has talent to teach, you know, the worst guy and the best guy. And I think this, this is a really cool opportunity just for Syracuse fans and media to kind of see what they have, and then, I guess the administration, too, to see what they have in coaching staff, because uh, a big thing for Coach Davis and his staff this year, I think they're going to have a lot of heat from going from a 10 season to, you know, below standard 5-7 and seven this year. Uh, I think a big thing for them is that coaching staff taking a step because you've got some new faces in there. And I think the most important part of this season, I know you want to have players that can play speed, size, yada, yada, but I really think this is a coaching year. And I'm not saying they need to win 8, 9, 10 games, uh, but 7, 8, 7, 8 would be something I feel like, you know, if these coaches are legit, they're not ever going to be the issue. It's just a matter of bringing in the right guys. Um, but I think it, it could be a real statement year for Coach Babers and his staff. If they can put together a, a solid season and show, we can develop you, come on in, because it shows. If you've got a new system and coaches are learning on the fly, it's going to really put their, their skill set to the test this year to get these guys ready to play come August and September. Yeah, and Dino Babers bet on three of his returning defensive assistants, Steve Stenard, Nick Monroe, and Vince Reynolds. He could have gone out and gotten other coaches, and maybe guys who coached yep. the 3-3-5, maybe guys who didn't. But he's worked with each of them for multiple years. Nick, since he got here. Vince, I believe, since he got here. He thinks they can teach it, or he didn't think he could find better options. So I, I agree with you. I think those guys are going to have real challenges, especially at the linebacker position where Syracuse doesn't return a ton of experience. Um so yeah, so let's uh let's go position group by position group on defense and kind of talk fit, talk what they're returning. Um, let's start on the back end, and, and it's funny you mentioned Andre Sisko's versatility. The guy who I thought of right away was Trill Williams. I mean, that's a guy who's played all of those positions. Uh, so yeah. I, I I think we're gonna see him. I, I think we'll see him all over the field, even in year one. Like if you're coming in as a coordinator, you need to free up your playmakers and. Uh, Cisco is one too, but to me, Trill's versatility, being able to play field and boundary corner, being able to play the nickel. I don't think he's played a ton of safety. Maybe in a couple of their th- maybe a third and long package, he's dropped back. But someone who's capable of moving all around the defense. He played outside linebacker in high school. Uh, so back there, he's someone who jumps out to me. And then I think kind of the wild card of the group is Afatu Malfanwu, who has all the tools to be such a really good corner. He's just had hamstring injuries the last two years. So to me, I think his availability will allow the the back five and, and, and really the whole 11 to maybe be more aggressive if you know you can leave a guy on an island uh, you know, throughout a game. So what do you kind of think of Syracuse's back end and a little more on how those guys maybe fit what's coming in system-wise? So my concern is corner. Right, I think that uh, Andre Sisco and Eric Coley are going to end up being the two safeties that start the season and end up staying there all year long. Uh, but I'm not sure about what's, what's happening at corner. Uh, my guy, Chris Frederick, is gone. Uh, Cordy is gone. And uh, I think what's left right now is Trail Iffy. Uh, I think they have Stritz and who was it, Neil Nunn, who's been kind of working at safety a bit, but I think he's, he's got the body of the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really want to know, and that's why I didn't say Trill in terms of that, like, star, nickel, played a bunch of different positions, because I think he kind of, uh, you know, handicapped tech on it. Like, he's just got these straps right there uh, because no one's proven themselves at that position yet. So I think the hope in spring is that one of those guys, especially like Alan Stristen, uh, I'm rooting for him, if someone like that can step up on the outside, it, it makes this defense that much better. 
because now you can really put a playmaker in the middle and Trill Williams, and now you got a guy there, um, and then you can play Cisco. Where and it's just a it's a it's, I truly believe this this defense is at its best when you've got playmakers in the middle at safety, only because that's how I saw it uh, with Coach Schaefer. Because you can do so many things to confuse a quarterback when they see. Um, a safety down, and all of a sudden he's rotating 10, 15 yards back, and they think he's coming. I mean, think about, I forget the kid's name, uh, the cat from Clemson, 11. Uh, he can end up being oh, a Isaiah Simmons. first round. Yes, yes, Simmons. He's going to end up being a first round pick, and he made that defense so much better because of his versatility, and a lot of that was coming out of uh, a few 3 3 five steps here and there, especially on oh, yeah. third down. And if you can do that with one of your guys being Syracuse, whether that's Trill Williams, Andre Sisko, just having a playmaker who can be on in different spots of the field, it makes it that much harder on a quarterback. It makes it that much harder on a running back deciding where he's going to go uh, in terms of how to block, where to run, all these things. So I, I really think it's important, especially at the corner position, for someone to step up to free up Trill Williams. I think he'll be great on the outside. I think he'd be great as a nickel. But if there's someone who could step up as a backup and really man that second corner role um, and allow Trill to move around on defense. I think that's really important for Syracuse right now. And uh, I think it's, I think the best guy, the most easily to project is Alan Strickinger. Um Neil Nunn is someone I thought has a corner body. He's got that frame, long frame. He's been there for a few years. He's developed. So it's, it's just interesting, but I think that second corner position is the key focus side for spring this year. Yeah, those second year defensive backs are going to have an opportunity. Neil Nunn uh, Garrett Williams was, I think, repping as like the fourth corner toward the end of the year. Um, I'm trying to think who else there is. Adrian Cole was an early enrollee last year. I, I think those guys are going to get opportunities this spring. Uh, I, you know, we'll see. It wouldn't be surprising if a guy, an unexpected player in the secondary, was banged up in the spring with a little cleanup surgery or something. Just always seems like there's a, a green shirt or two back there, leaving even more opportunities. But I, I agree with you. And that's kind of why, you know, if he stands out to me, but it, you need to lock down the corner spot to then send your playmakers and be able to be able to do all the versatile things that the scheme allows. Uh, yeah, I'm telling you, it, as a defensive back, I think the three-five is probably the most fun defense you can play in because uh, you're not strapped to uh, sitting there seven and a half yards just waiting for the ball to snap and kind of showing what you're doing. You're in a situation where you can move. You know I mean, our coaches would tell us all the time, like, yeah, um, if you've got uh, a deep third and you're one of the safeties, you need to be two yards up the hash when the ball snaps, which you'll know, but you've got three, you can be five yards inside the hash, you could be five yards deep from where you're supposed to be, five yards inside from where you're supposed to be. As long as you can get to your spot by the time the ball snaps, you're in good position. That's kind of the freedom that a lot of players like to have because you can start messing with receivers, start messing with quarterbacks. They don't know what's going on. They're just looking at you. And the quarterback, especially if he's young, oh, that's food. <laughs> that is food. But these guys don't know what's going on on the offensive side of the ball. They're trying to figure out what zone you're in or what coverage you're in so that they can run their routes and get open. Um, if they don't know what you're doing, I mean, there's a lot. of, And it's just fun to defensive back. So I think you're going to see a lot of uh, loose DBs this year. As long as they understand the system and how to get to their spots when the ball is not, um, it could be a lot of fun back there. Yeah, I think that room is set up to have success this year. And maybe a, maybe a lot of it if, if he can stay healthy. 
the linebacker group is a different story because Michael Jones is the only one there who's really played def- significant defensive snaps. Uh, I know yeah. the coaching staff loves him. The outgoing seniors spoke really highly of him. I think he's got a really bright future, but it's a tall task to lead a room surrounded by a bunch of young guys while learning a new system. Uh, you know what? What are you kind of expecting from that linebacker group? And like, if, if you're the new coaching staff coming in, like, it's how do you even try and try and assess that? That seems to me like the hardest coaching job on the staff right now. And Steve Stenard, who who got to be interim defensive coordinator down the stretch last year, is, is going to be the one assessing and making those decisions. Like, what? Like, where do you even start? Yeah, so you're looking at your guys, and you're you're basically asking which one of you are violent, like it, because they're going to become that fourth, fifth line at that point. They have to fill. They're, they're going to be the ones filling gaps. Uh, usually, in a four-three or a five-two, your defensive linemen are the ones filling up the gap, and then your linebackers are guys who are reading and reacting, going to the ball, playing the outside, you know, kind of doing uh, what Zaire Franklin did all of his career, you know, get a bunch of tackles, um, they're freed up, and they have a chance to go after the ball. Uh, in a 3-3-5, it's more likely, you can kind of scheme a guy here and there, but more often than not, your linebackers are going to be filling some sort of gap, whether that's on the interior or between the guard and the tackle or even coming on the outside trying to take up a tackle. These guys have to be violent. They have to have a mindset to be able to get off of those blocks and get to a back and get to a quarterback. So this is an instance where it, it, I, I'm concerned about size because I'm seeing a lot of 6'1", 6'2", 225. And that's where I'm like, okay, but these guys have the moves to be able to get off the 6'5 tackle, to get off the 330-pound guard, because that's where size is really going to come into play. And that's where I'm concerned. He has a, has a difficult job, and I wouldn't want it, because you have to have linebackers with a speed, because they have to be able to blitz and get to the outside. They've got to be able to move around. Uh, they're going to have certain zone responsibilities and a ton of pass coverage responsibilities. But their primary job, in terms of defending the run, in terms of just... Integrity, gap integrity, they're going to have to take up a lot of that offensive line space and they've got to be able to hold their position. And that's the one thing Syracuse has really struggled with um, since Dino Davis has taken over. I've seen a lot of poor gap integrity, the Boston College Kings, um, UNC a few years back. Um, you know, the list goes on and on of games where uh, teams are just running all over the place and there's poor tackling, shoddy tackling, no gap responsibility. Um, and, and that's something that can't happen. And in a three-three-five, you're you're really stressing your linebackers to come up and play in the box and be physical. So this is going to be a year where Coach E, the strength and conditioning coach, is going to need to be uh, on his best behavior and his best game, getting those guys ready to play. Um, and where those defensive linemen are going to have to help those linebackers out and try to take up as many blocks as they can because it, it's going to be stressful up front and those linebackers have to be key in terms of getting up field and being somewhere uh, where they can push the ball to the outside and allow the GDs in the back end to make some plays. Yeah, I think there are definitely some intriguing phases in the room. When you say violent, Lee Koba definitely comes to mind. He's played on uh, played on kickoff coverage last year, but he's got a reputation as someone who will fly around. Now, does he have the size and durability to hold up against offensive linemen over the course of the year if he's an every-down guy? I don't know. You know, we, we haven't seen that yet, and uh, and he doesn't have significant defensive experience. Um, Juan Wallace, the third-year guy, you know, he's been around for a while. I, I think the coaching staff 
he's more of a known entity than maybe Lee Koba or, or Jeff Kantanarku, the younger guys coming in. I think he'll get looks. And, and then Jeff Kantanarku is the guy who, when you look at him just physique-wise, it seems like there should be a spot on the field for him somewhere. He is long. He is rangy. He is strong. Right. You know, he's like right. – I, I, I know they're both Canadian, but like he kind of reminds me of Tyrell Richards when he came in, except maybe even – a little bigger. Um, and, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about Tyrell. They, they're they both kind of like, well, well, what do you do with these guys? Do you stick them uh, as an end up front? Do you move them back? Do you, do you install enough where you can create spe- a special role on a third down defense for them? Um, there's a lot of questions yeah. there. Yes, and I thought Tyro Rich was going to be one of those guys where he's, he's a linebacker, like he's listed the line, but he can really play uh, defensive end. He can come in and put his hand in the dirt if he needs to. He can come off the edge. Um, and that's why I say it's important for these guys um, who are kind of those tweeners, whether defensive ends or linebackers, these guys that are going to be playing up on that quote-unquote front six. Um, they've got to be ready for it because it's important for them to be physical and be able to come up and uh, allow for that flexibility in this defense to really uh, come to fruition because it, it's going to be on them. The backside, they got to be playmakers, but uh, those linebackers and defensive linemen, they, they're the ones who make it happen and allow uh, the free flow of the three three five to happen. Yeah, I'll be really interested to see how reps are distributed just because everyone's learning in there, you know, and there's only <laughs> only so many to go around. Um, yeah. Let's uh let's switch up front before we go to reader questions. Uh, I think Syracuse's D line is is a little thin. I think they would have liked to bring in, and maybe they still will bring in a grad transfer, a bigger guy. Maybe he's your nose. Maybe he he is someone who plays on the outside. Um, because I mean you you lose Kendall Coleman, Alton Robinson, and KJ Ruff, and it it looks pretty thin up front. I mean you're I think pretty clearly McKinley Williams is going to be the guy in the middle. That would be my expectation. Uh, I don't know if they have a guy behind him who's really ready. Josh Black is is a little small, I think, to play straight nose, but <laughs> that might be what it comes to. We, we saw McKinley missed most of last season. Um, and then after that, you, you've got Josh, who I think is a better fit uh, outside rather than inside, playing the, playing the end uh, in a three-man yep. front. And um, Kingsley Jonathan, who, who probably fits there as well. And then you kind of got a lot of unproven guys coming in. Like, what – what do you think up front, and, and do you kind of agree or maybe disagree about where you see kind of McKinley and Josh fitting in position-wise? No, I, I'm 100% right there with you. I think McKinley's going to end up being the guy in the middle, and I hope he's, uh, you know, on the, the, the Wyndham diet going to dinosaur barbecue every day. <laughs> just, try and, just try to add some weight to pounds, man, to get big in there because uh, he's going to be taking on, you know, gaps where you can take a center and a, tack, or a center and a guard uh, it's going to be hard I mean it, it just lost his name uh, Chris Slayton uh, yeah. was amazing at it and that's the kind of guy that you want to have in a 3 5 defense because they're going to be taking up gaps and you need them to command two guys and that's something I'm not sure and that, that's the scary part is a lot of this is unproven in terms of those uh, defensive linemen and linebackers. A lot of guys are unproven. Can they routinely take up two men? Because if they can't, that's when you go, those guards are allowed to reach. And if they can reach your linebackers, this defense can uh, become a liability for you. You've got to have linemen who can take up blocks and take up gaps. And right now, I, I think McKinley Williams is going to end up having to be uh, put in that position. Josh Black, uh, 
Kings and John, I think those guys, they're, they're, they're certainly uh, defensive ends. No doubt about it. Josh Black is, is his skill set, um, his size. Uh, just from what I've seen from him um, and his ability, I'd like to keep him on the end. Um, and if there needs to be a rotation, sure. But it's going to end up coming down to depth. And that's another problem for Syracuse that's, that's um, worrisome for me. Because Syracuse is a place where they're never going to have the same amount of debt. Uh, depth as uh, you know these top tier programs, the FSU, the Miami, the Clemson. This is not going to happen. So when you've got a defensive line that's stressed like this, you've got to have playmakers up front. And I think it's going to be a big year for those guys. They better be in shape. Uh, they got to be prepared not to come off the field. And those young guys are going to have to step up this year. You're always looking for a group of freshmen or sophomore can do something. And uh, there's got to be at least one or two that can come in and give you meaningful reps. And I think that's what this probably one of the most important uh, since Coach Favors has taken over because the defensive line has to have the depth necessary. Otherwise, you'll see a lot of problems up front in terms of uh, run defenses and guys and offensive lines being able to reach up and start to take on linebackers and safeties, and that's when the defense itself just becomes null and void because you've got to be able to take them up up front and allow your defensive backs to make plays. Yeah, I totally agree, and I think that's that's the biggest concern, and if you can't stop the run on early downs, you're, you're not able to put your playmakers in positions to, to get those takeaways and, and to unleash all your blitzes and all those things that the 335, the versatility that the 335 allows is limited when you can't stop power and stop inside zone and your safeties don't want to, don't want to take on lead blocks or, or, you know, it's, yeah. So I, I you know, I'm, I'm going to end up writing something about this probably next week, but I think year one, there's going to be a significant learning curve up front. I think everyone kind of knows that with all the turnover there. Uh, but if they can figure out how to stop the run against certain teams, I, I do think it'll be fun. And, uh, you know, I'm, I think there are a lot of players who are now going to be in a, in a really good position given their skill set. I think Josh Black is better off in this scheme. You know, we'll see what they do with Trail. We'll see what they do on the back end. I think some of those guys could be put in position to make plays more. Um, but that young linebacker room and kind of the lack of depth up front makes me a little wary. Um, but we'll see. we still got another six months to talk about it before they even start preparing uh, for week one. Let's uh, switch over to Twitter questions. Uh, James Austin, our friend, regular listener, has a couple for us. Do you think Rhino will finally be a defensive lineman first or will still split time on both sides of the ball? It's a really good question. I think, uh, I think he would like to play a lot of defensive line. It's what he was recruited out, out of high school for by most schools. Um, Syracuse needed a, a big guy, a lead blocker. They've found a role for him. He has been vital to the success that they have had in short yardage situations and goal line situations. Two years ago, they, they were really, really good uh, in situations like that. So it, it, it's going to be tough. I think the rooms will be fighting over him. That lack of defensive li- uh, line depth is, is certainly a factor. To me, the question is, is he someone who can hold up in the middle? Like, who is that number two option going to be behind McKinley Williams? Are you going to rotate Josh Black over and then limit his reps on the outside? Or are you going to lean on Curtis Harper, someone who played last year before McKinley Williams got back? Do you still go out and find a grad transfer who can come in and eat some of those snaps? So, uh, you know, that's kind of, you know, where I see on I don't think, think a decision's made. Uh, James also asked about Tyrell Richards and how he fits in. Any other thoughts on those two guys, Julian, Elmore, or Richards, and kind of their fit? Yeah, so with Elmore, I think that's interesting whether or not they keep using him on both sides of the ball. I think 
depends. I really think it depends on do they fully have the depth at defensive tackle. If they don't, you'll start to see more and more of Elmore um, in there because the coach that does, you know, they don't need fullbacks. They, they need defensive line. <laughs> so I think it's going to depend on defensive needs and whether or not there's enough depth on that line to determine where uh, Elmore ends up. Uh, in terms of Richards, I think he's someone that can play defensive end if he needs to. I think he's someone that can be that linebacker slash DN that can come over, and whether it's we need speed on the outside, we need somebody to make a play, uh, we need someone to put their hand, I think he's that guy who can be a little bit of a hybrid uh, just because of his range and his skill set, the length that he has. Uh, I hope he gets a little bit thicker. I mean, that, that's my hope for all these linebackers. If someone comes in 240, I wouldn't be upset about it. Um, I, just, I just really think that he has the ability uh, to be that DN slash linebacker that Syracuse is going to need uh, just because I think he's going to be very important on the edge um, in terms of going after tackles, uh, setting the edge, and making sure people aren't getting outside because uh, he's just, he just has a skill set where uh, it allows for a little bit more uh, depth at the defensive end position, because I think that that rotation is going to get tiring after a while. They're going to have to start putting in guys uh, from the line that crew that can help. And just it, it, in terms of scheme, like scheming guys um, that can help out uh, the depth of the defensive line. So I think he can be really important in terms of playing that combo role defensive end outside linebacker. Yeah, I'll be really interested to see where where he and Jeff Cantonarku how they use those guys this spring, at, at least to start. Again, both of them could move around, but you know, yeah. where do they where do they see? Everyone on defense kind of aligning at will be uh, will be really interesting. Uh, Mike Vidal, everyone is saying that our personnel fits this better. If so, one, how? I think we've more or less covered that. I mean, you, there's still things to be debated. Um, and two, why didn't we know this sooner? Every time I watch college football teams that pressure the QB, they have great success. <laughs> why, why will we get more pressure and what do we lose by doing so? Uh, I would say I don't know that Syracuse is going to get more pressure. I, I, I think I think it will depend on if they can stop the run. Um, you know, I, I mentioned this before. Dino has had his eye on the three three five for a while. It's something he's familiar with. Uh, I, I suspect if Brian Ward's defense didn't have that really, really good year three, there would have been a changing of the guard earlier than week nine and year four, you know? So I think... What was he supposed to do? Switch schemes after having a really, really good year? You know, obviously, that doesn't make any sense. Um, so I think the timing of it, it, it is kind of natural, and uh, I think his again his belief in the system is evidenced by his decision to get Tony White. You know, he could not get Rocky Long. They wanted Rocky Long as their first option. He's now at New Mexico working for Danny Gonzalez and another three three five guy who was previously at San Diego State, um, and then at Arizona State with Tony White, and they couldn't get Zach Arnett, who went to Mississippi State, so they got Tony. Um, so, to me, I, I think Dino sees the value in it. Uh, it, it. You know, no one's saying it's all going to work out on paper. You say, yeah, if it was as easy as pressuring the, the, the quarterback every time, you know, every defensive coordinator would do this. It depends on the personnel you have and who you're playing against and, and all those things. But, uh, you know, I think I really think we've covered a lot of that more broadly speaking in the specific elements throughout the show. So we will see. Maybe it will work. Maybe it won't work. Um, Joseph Schalk would like to hear more how the current roster fits into the scheme with an eye towards younger players such as Cooper Dawson, Michael Jones, and Lee Koba. Um, you know, we covered the linebackers. I'm, I'm not sure where Cooper Dawson is right now. Uh, I, I suspect he would be an end. I don't think he's probably big enough to play the nose uh, in the middle there. 
we'll see if he's someone who can get into the mix in year two. Uh, he was still wearing a knee brace for, I think, the majority of last season. Certainly uh, in the spring as an early enrollee, and then I believe for fall camp as well. Uh, I don't know. He, I would say he's not someone who's at the top of my radar, but there are surprises every year. Um, and, and, you know, if, if I'm looking at kind of young a young defensive lineman that I think might find his way onto the field, uh, the, who we haven't talked about, the name I've got circled is Latari Kinsler. He's the early enrollee defensive end from Florida. Uh, high three-star guy, highest-rated guy in the class. A little thin. I think he's around 215. Um, so I don't know if he would be an every down guy right away. Maybe someone who you like on third downs, maybe someone, uh, you know, I don't know what his hips are like. If he has the cover skills to drop, you know, I, I think they're going to have to assess him, but I think he's someone who has the length, uh, to maybe do some things that this scheme allows for. Whereas if you just have a four man front, uh, he's probably never going to be an early down kind of player. Uh, or not never, but he wouldn't in no situation as a true freshman at 215 pounds be an every down player. Uh, any other name that we haven't talked about that kind of jumps out to you, Julian, fit, fit-wise? No, uh, I actually you stole it from me. I thought Canada Pahokie was, was going to be the most interesting. Uh, just because of the Florida background, that's just who I know. Um, a lot of those guys, especially if you're, you're sitting at 215, uh, you always believe, and this is, again, this is not some uh, football inside. This is just growing up playing football in South Florida. Like, those, that specific body type, I, I know, like, eight kids like him. Uh, they all <laughs> believe they were actually safety. <laughs> they all believe they were actually going to play safety. Uh, so they always try to show off their footwork, uh, show off how well they cover, uh, show off their lateral ability. And um, I, I, I truly believe that in this case, I think he's someone that he'll need to put on weight. Um, I think he'll add an outside linebacker more so in a defensive end uh, right away. And I think he's someone that if he has the speed and the agility, I think he's someone who can come in and play. Uh, like you said, Stephen, not, maybe not every down guy, first, second down, but coming on third down, uh, someone who's got a little bit of value there. But um, if there, like you said, if this is a, a 4-3 defense, um, I don't think you can see him on the field. But because we have this 3 through 5 where you need um, to have that speed, you need to have a little bit of coverability, some kind of flexibility to, to, pass, or to pass rush, I think we'll see a little bit of him. And uh, I look for, I always support the South Florida guys. And Pahokee is somewhere I actually used to, uh, I won't say be afraid to play, but I didn't look forward to it at all because of the kind of catch that they had playing football out there. So um, I look forward to seeing him play. For sure. One more guy who, who I'm excited to see, Steve Linton, who uh, – had some kind of foot issue early in the year. He was in a boot kind of on and off through the year. And then I know he got sick at one point during the year, so I think they wanted him to add a little more weight. But he is long and rangy, and he was actually recruited by some schools as an outside linebacker. So he's someone who maybe maybe could do a little more than just be uh, be an edge rusher. Which I don't have his, his – he's, he's a thinner guy too. I think they want him to bulk up, and this will be an important offseason yeah. for him. But, you know, maybe he's a guy who can stand up and you can do some things with. Uh, moving on, Alex L. <laughs> Ask Julian why he doesn't tweet more. His is the best Q's football Twitter. You've been busy, right? I, I have. I have. I'm actually sitting in a uh, glass office uh, on 52nd Street in Midtown. Um, I am supposed to be not talking about Syracuse football and selling some bonds. <laughs> um, I've been working on the sales and trading floor for those wondering uh, where I've been, why I don't tweet. Um, they uh, pay me much more than 
I could make uh, tweeting about Syracuse football. So that's kind of where my attention's been. But that's why I try to do that as much as I can um, just to come back and, and cover Syracuse because I really enjoy it. But, uh, yeah, man, I have been a uh, sales and trader uh, for the last three months, and uh, that's been my life. Corporate finance, that is best. Yeah, that's awesome. We're, we're all happy for you, and it's a, it's a very good reason not to be tweeting about Syracuse football. As, as someone who sits on TweetDeck most days, I can tell you. that's. <laughs> <sighs> all right, got a few left. Michael Potter, having already played with five DBs last season and been smoked, is the intrigue that the three three five is a one-off scout for opponents. Tony White said in your interview, it's not as uncommon as you think, so why the reason for optimism? Yeah, I was actually really surprised he said that because – I was basically I was reporting on a Zach Arnett feature after the news came out that he had been quote unquote hired. He signed an offer sheet, which was non-binding, obviously. Um, and I learned a lot about the three three five. I talked to a couple coaches at San Diego State, a couple of assistants there, um, a couple of people who had worked with Zach at, at other stops. His, you know, I talked to Tony, frankly, who coached Zach his senior year at New Mexico. He was the linebackers coach, uh, and a couple of them said. Yeah, you know, there's something to that. There's something to teams not preparing for that every week, to uh, different, uh, you know, different expectations, right, of what what gaps are going to be covered, um, maybe different angles of blitzes. Uh, It's just a little different. It's almost like in the ACC basketball, most teams don't prepare for a 2-3 defense every week, and then Syracuse catches a couple teams, you know, every year. You go to the NCAA tournament, right? And, and you know, it's it's something a little bit different. I don't think that's a, a an apples for apple to apples comparison, but, yeah, it, it's something different you have to prepare for when it is fully installed. Uh, yeah, t- Tony said that, and it's true. Clemson has done some 3-3-5, um, particularly last year. It was a pretty effective uh, <laughs> at times against Syracuse. We saw it in the national championship game. So it, it's it's not like totally foreign, but yeah, it, it is a little different. So I, I think there's a small element of it to that. Do, do you kind of have a feel, Julian? Is, would you put a lot of stock in that or not so much? Yeah, especially, yeah, I, I think it's, um, I think it definitely is a, a bit of a change up at times. It's not uncommon, like you said, uh, but especially when we used to do it uh, under Coach Schaefer, it was our change up defense. So uh, we came out on the board base uh, 4-3, and then when we would move to that 3-3-5, I think it jarred younger quarterbacks, the quarterbacks that may not have had the skill set to, to really adjust and uh, really understand secondary. So uh, the flexibility that it offers in terms of where you're putting guys, uh, moving linebackers around, and all the movement that goes on on this defense, it can certainly uh, – Confuse the quarterback, confuse the offensive line, and make things difficult. And we've seen that. We've seen the Clemson did it all game against Syracuse. So, and you can see what happens when you've got an inexperienced offensive line and an inexperienced quarterback, and, and what it can do uh, to an offense. So uh, it's, something, it's something that teams can prepare for. But on the field, it, because of the movement uh, of the three-three-five and how guys can shift around and how much freedom they typically have, um, I think that's what makes it difficult uh, to prepare for because. Sure, you know what they do, what guys are doing, and where they're supposed to be. But uh, the confusion in the, in, during pre-snap is what makes it difficult uh, to play again. And, and consider this: there are some some ACC schools who are going through changeovers themselves. Boston College, Florida State. You know, if you're installing an offensive scheme. That probably takes away from some of your your game planning through the year. And if this is the only three three five team you play, 
you know, you, you can see how there could be a little bit of a tactical advantage there. Now, again, it does not matter if you can't stop the run, but uh, in, in theory, you, you can get a little bit of element of surprise there, at least I think. Uh, last question from Jim Steschlut. Does the coaching staff slash administration have any feeling at this early date regarding the likelihood of Chris Bleich being eligible for the 2020 season? I haven't heard anything from SU. Chris said he felt good about it, and I think, you know, an- another piece of encouraging news for SU is the ACC backing the uh, the the one-time transfer proposal, basically that any college football player can transfer one time without having to sit out. The ACC jumped behind that. I believe the Big Ten was previously behind that. Um, and I think it would, it would soften some other restrictions uh, on transfers. So, you know, that, that might help a little bit. Uh, we'll see what happens with the proposal. Um, but I haven't heard anything directly from SU. I don't, I don't have a time frame for when they'll get an answer. Um, I, you know, I would say I think it's more likely personally, just me reading the tea leaves, that I think he does get approved to play right away. But I could be wrong, and, and I don't know all of the, the information that is in uh, in his waiver. And I don't know, you know, for instance, if he has to appeal, that's a second process. And usually the the... The waivers that come down to like week one, is this guy playing or not? It's after an appeal. It's a second process. So uh, we'll see if, if it comes to that. We don't really know. Um, so that's kind of what I know about Chris Bleich. That'll do it for the show today. Really appreciate everyone listening. Uh, if you haven't yet, please go subscribe to us, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. And we'll be back hopefully next week to preview spring ball. And we'll get into all the offensive stuff then, too. I know today was just defense. There's a lot to talk about. But uh, you know we wanted to keep it focused today. So thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll talk to you soon.